Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Here with us today is David McGimsey. His specialty is coaching people to deliver compelling presentations. He runs the popular blog, presentationblogger.com, and is the author of PowerPoint Doesn't Suck, You Do, The Counterintuitive Approach to Compelling Presentations. Born in Scotland and raised in Australia, we speak to David from his adopted home of Osaka, Japan. Hi, David. Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better. Uh, What I like to do with my guests is ask them to explain what they do, but break it down to me as if I were a five-year-old. Okay, well, what I do is help people to communicate better. In in business now, these days, everyone Mm -hmm. has to do some kind of presentation. Yes. Maybe it's in a meeting or maybe it's a big speech in front of a lot of people. And this is difficult for most people. It's uh, an experience that's, uh, that creates a lot of anxiety for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can be worried about getting things right or impressing their boss or, or things like that. So I help them to overcome a lot of their fears and to be able to deliver a message and communicate a message very clearly. And what sort of things do you do to help them improve? Um, I, uh, I go through uh, a coaching process where I help people to understand that you don't have to be fearful because you're just communicating with people and this is something you do every day. Right, right. That's a big perspective shift. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people respond best to people who are just communicating naturally with them. Yes. People, people don't respond to someone who's standing, reading a script, reading notes and or looking back at a screen and reading bullet points to people where they can read them already anyway. And um, if you just communicate naturally, people will be more likely to listen to you and the experience is going to be easier for you. That's great. Well, I am so excited to have you here today. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, many years ago, I had sort of a game-changing presentation that I attended at KPMG. It was actually on public speaking taught by someone such as yourself. And at the end of that one and a half day presentation, I wasn't a noticeably better public speaker. But what that training really gave me was sort of an understanding that there's a foundation, there are things happening underneath and before the presentation uh, that are very important and, and probably in ways more important than the words that are coming out of your mouth. And ever since then, when I watch really good presenters, I try to keep an eye on those things and and not necessarily, you know, just the words that are coming out of their mouth. So let me give you an example, and I'd I'd love to get your um, perspective um, on this individual's sort of style or technique. So there's a gentleman at Dun & Bradstreet. Uh, He's the chief data scientist there, Anthony Scrifignano. Uh, He was a mentor of mine, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, and he was very passionate about working with um, high school and college uh, 
folks that DMB would uh, sponsor for internships. And he would give these great three stories. But what he would do, which I found interesting, is he would tell the story. And at the end of the story, he'd have like a little slogan or a catchphrase like be distinct or be extinct. Uh, and then he would have the whole audience repeat it. And if it wasn't loud enough, he'd have them repeat it again. And then he'd do the second story. And then, you know, he'd have them repeat it again, but he'd have them repeat the first slogan and the second slogan. And then by the end, he'd have everybody screaming, you know, the, the three slogans. And, and I know I remembered, you know, those slogans when I left and what the stories were about. It was much more, I guess, engaging or memorable to me because he took that approach, which I thought was quite novel. Uh, what are your sort of observations on what's going on there? I think fundamentally what he's doing is he's getting people just to remember something mm -hmm. about his presentation. Mm -hmm. um, people are really busy and yeah. people have got a lot of stuff going on. And, and these days, especially there's, you know, there's Facebook and Twitter and everything hitting you all day, every day. So our memories, our memories are not as good as probably they used to be. And uh, what he's doing is he's helping them to actually take something from the presentation. He's making it memorable for them. Yes. And, you know, see, regardless what he has said, they're going to remember that, that one phrase or those three short phrases that he repeats over and over again in the presentation. So they're going to come out feeling like they actually got something out of that presentation and they're going to remember it. I, I totally, totally agree with that. And I feel like those sayings or slogans are almost like a memory trigger. If, if you mm. see what I mean, they kind of trigger pieces of the rest of the presentation. So you're not like remembering the whole thing, but it kind of activates your memory in a way. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It's a little bit like um, you see a commercial as a kid mm -hmm. and it's just got this tune or it's got something in it that um, that sticks in your head. And 40 years later, you can be walking down the street and you'll just hear <laughs> a little jingle that reminds you of that and suddenly the commercial comes back into your head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very powerful. Another gentleman that uh, I, I received some great training and, and learned public speaking from at, at Dun & Bradstreet uh, was Lewis Sapperman. He's the chief compliance officer uh, over there. And I've never seen anyone present like this guy. He was so entertaining and animated. Everyone loved going to his presentations. And like he would do this crazy stuff, like he would he would say, just to show you how serious I am about compliance, he would rip off his, you know, suit jacket and he'd like chuck it. Or, you know, when he'd be doing a role play, uh, he would show up with like a fedora and he would like, you know, warp into this, you know, really kind of sleazy, you know, kind of character. And uh, it just got people so engaged in the presentation, um, you know, what is he doing there? What, what sort of things is he trying to accomplish by, by doing that? I think, well, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, he's, he's trying to build the anticipation of coming to his presentation. So like mm -hmm. everyone, he's got a reputation now. He's going to do something interesting, right? We've got to go to this presentation. <laughs> and I, 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 I used to work for a bank and uh -huh. for me, compliance was never the most exciting topic. 
Right. And I was a programmer at the bank, you know, so compliance to me generally meant that we're getting into trouble for something or something's <laughs> going to get harder to do. Right, right. And so if you've got a topic like that that you're presenting on, then you want to, you know, you want to have a reputation for being interesting. Otherwise, yes. people come in there switched off before they, you know, before they sat down. And, you know, it's memorable. People are going to remember. I oh, remember that guy that took his jacket off. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know. Well, well, it's so novel, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. unexpected. You don't expect that in a compliance presentation. You expect you will do ABC or you yeah, will, yeah. you know, and people's minds, at least, you know, even though I work in the field, your mind kind of shuts off uh, with, with exactly. the droning of the rules. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think, you know, the, the thing about both of them, you know, I feel like these weren't accidents. These were very intentional, well thought out sort of preparation that they meant to do this to have an effect. It, it wasn't just a, oh, isn't that cute? That kind of happened, you know? Yeah, um, I, 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 I agree. I, I think, though, um, if I could just add, though, I think yeah. it probably was really well thought out. Uh-huh. But it probably is not something they started with. Okay. Okay. So what do you so mean by that? Tell me. Pro- probably something that develops over time. Uh-huh. You do a little thing. Um, you know, the guy that uh, ripped his jacket off or wore the fedora or something. Right, like right, that, right, right, right. You know, he probably did something. It may have been by accident in one of his presentations. And he realized, oh, this really gets people's attention. People really pay attention. <laughs> And, and then after that, what happens is the idea develops and it develops more and it becomes this kind of natural thing, you know, yes. like my presentation today. See, I, I love that insight, uh, David, because I feel like, you know, sometimes people feel like they have to go from zero to 60, right? It's like, yes. I have to give this presentation and now I have to be like Tony Robbins or, you know, Barack Obama, or I have to be JFK or some great presenter but but i think the reality is we all just kind of build and we get feedback and we improve and you get better and better one step at a time and then wow all of a sudden a year or two later after you know trying real hard and working on it you've you've come so far exactly yeah i'm sure you see that with um with a lot of your students uh that you that you teach as well right i mean some of them probably show up and you're like wow we we have a lot of work to do but at the end of a, a month or six months or a year, they, they've made tremendous progress. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is just their own personal development. It's not something that we're teaching them. It's just they're developing their style. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's take a look. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you here. Love to get your input uh, on what's going on here as well. Okay. Here we go. When I was seven years old and my sister was just five years old, we were playing on top of a bunk bed. I was two years older than my sister at the time. I mean, I'm two years older than her now, but at the, <laughs> at the time that meant she had to do everything that I wanted to do and I wanted to play war. So we were up on top of our bunk beds and on one side of the bunk bed I had put out all my G.I. Joe soldiers and weaponry and on the other side were all my sisters, Milo's and ponies and ready for a cavalry charge. There are differing accounts of what actually happened that afternoon, but since my sister is not here with us today, um, let me tell you the true story. <laughs> Which is my. All right. So, funny guy, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what was going on there? 
So this actually, um, I, I'd like to talk about the humor of his presentation. Okay. Um, so it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about the zero to 60 and about, um, you know, everyone feeling like they have to, you know, get everything right the first time they do a presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his presentation, he uses a lot of humor and it's really, really good to watch and, and really good to listen to. And it's not something, I don't think it's something that he planned and he mm-hmm. just said, okay, I'm going to be funny in this TEDx presentation. Right. So I'm going to plan out exactly what I'm going to say. I would imagine that that talk that he's doing, mm-hmm. he's delivered that many, 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 many times before. Hmm. And over time, his story and his introduction to the topic where he's talking about his sister and he's making all the little quips here and there about, you know, things that happen. Um, this is developed over time. Right. So I'm not saying he's, he's being dishonest, but what, what I'm saying is like he, as he delivers something, he, you know, saying, in delivery number three, he just right. adds something into the delivery. He says something and it gets a reaction from the audience and they laugh and he thinks, okay, well, I just need to keep adding that every time I deliver. The <laughs> and then um, the next time he delivers, he adds something else. And it may be intentional. It may not be, but it gets a reaction. He thinks, okay, that's staying, you know, you know, you know, you're, you've raised in the, in the, your last few comments, something that I think is so interesting and important, this concept of, of feedback, right? So if you're giving presentations and you're aware of the feedback and what words or things or movements seem to work or capture the, the reaction you want from the audience, you can, you can build on that versus you just go up there and you're, you know, what I like to call broadcasting, right? Yeah. You're not feeling anything back. You're just broadcasting. Then you're never really going to improve. You're just going to have the same broadcast and it's never going to get better. Well, maybe it won't get worse, but it certainly won't get better. Right. Exactly. And if you're, if everything is planned, Mm -hmm. the, the audience can kind of feel it. Yes. You know? um, So, and, and when they feel like, ah, this guy's just reading from a script or he's reading, he's just uh, speaking from something he memorized. They can feel that and they, that is not engaging. It switches them off, actually. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think the really great public speakers, they, they're able to, um, I don't want to say improvise. It's, it's not so much like, you know, jazz music, but like adapt a little bit. So they're not sort of stuck on, you know, point A, point B, point C. They can, you know, they, they can make slight adjustments along the way. Mm. Okay, so um, I'm going to play another presentation. Uh, This one's by Daniel Pink, uh, the best-selling author of books like Drive and and When, and I I recently just uh, listened to an audiobook version uh, of When, which I found uh, very interesting. Uh, So I'll play a few seconds of this and would love to get your comments on this. Okay. Here we go. I need to make a confession at the outset here. A little over 20 years ago, uh, I did something that I regret, something that I'm not particularly proud of, uh, something that in many ways I wish no one would ever know, but that here I feel kind of obliged to reveal. Um, 
In the late 1980s, in a moment of youthful indiscretion, I went to law school. Now... <laughs> All right. So uh, what sort of things did you pick up from uh, Mr. Pink? Okay, the first thing is he's very natural. Um, his body language is really natural. He's kind of rubbing his hands together as he starts talking. And mm-hmm. um, he's, he's not... He, he's talking to the audience the same way he would be if he was talking one-on-one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is he engages the audience by introducing a topic or introducing a point, but not actually answering it straight away and actually building it up. Oh, so he leaves ha- something open. Yeah. So he's, he's using like an open loop and he closes it very quickly, Right. but he does build anticipation for what it's going to be. So he starts off by saying, I have a confession to make. And then he sort of builds on when I was young, I did, I did something wrong. I did this wrong. And this was very, very stupid and blah, 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 blah. And then he eventually gets to it. And that whole time when he's building that up, the audience is sitting there thinking, I need to know the answer. because (laughs) Everyone's naturally curious, right? Right. Right. And so, um, they, they, they're kind of moving closer to him. They're kind of, come on, give us the answer, give us the answer, give us the answer. And you can use this thing really, really well in a presentation. So mm-hmm. and he closes the loop very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually heard him give the answer to why he, the confession he had to make, which was he became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But um, you can kind of leave that loop open for the entirety of your presentation, not close it till right at the end. And that kind of maintains engagement throughout your presentation. Huh. Um, I, I think I see a version of that in writing sometimes, right, David? Someone will, an author will, will leave a question and won't answer it in that chapter and it'll kind of build and it'll come out yeah. elsewhere and, and they'll leave other loops along the way. So they're almost like layering loops. That, yeah, that's right. Um, it's also in sales copywriting, it gets used really well there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I deliver um, presentations related to um, better communication and better listening, I have an open loop that I tend to start with there, which is similar to this. I have a confession to make. Okay. I used to make my wife very, very, very angry. <laughs> I'm going to now I need to know. <laughs> yeah. So, so then- yeah. I go I can, through the whole kind of spiel about how listening is really important and all yeah. this kind of thing. And then it builds to where I say, okay, so now I'm going to tell you why I made my wife really, really angry. And then I go to this story about, uh, you know, um, when we would talk and she would uh, give me a problem and I wouldn't really listen. I'd just say, we'll do this. Mm-hmm. And she would get very angry and I couldn't understand why. And mm-hmm. it was because I wasn't listening to her. Mm. and at that point people are ready to actually answer the question for you and they're still engaged and you know yeah i you know when when you say that or when or when daniel pink says i have a confession i i can picture the audience almost like leaning forward in their chairs yeah. you know like like that's the human reaction it's like that i mean you call it an open loop you know uh 
you know, a layman might call it like the mystery or, or, mm. or, or the question. You just, your mind needs that to be, needs that to be completed. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's really uh, interesting. Actually, in some ways, it's also a little bit of what the, uh, the gentleman you mentioned that takes his jacket off or something like that. Yes. It's also a little bit like that, you know? So when mm -hmm. he's, let me show you why compliance gets me so interested, uh, gets me so excited. Mm -hmm. So I take his jacket off and that's kind of an open loop. And people are thinking, I've got to see this. I've got to <laughs> this. You know, there's a punchline about this somewhere. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. All right, so uh, gonna go to our next uh, example. So this uh, next speaker is, I think, really special and, and near and dear to my childhood, and I believe a lot of other people's childhoods. It's uh, Fred Rogers, or, you know, known as Mr. Rogers, accepting a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Daytime Emmy Awards. Okay. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. So uh, one thing I noticed about this presentation is I've never seen anyone speak so softly, but so powerfully, you know, I mean, it's, 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 he's not shouting, but you can see in the audience, people's faces, they're, they're, they're really moved and tears welling up in these, you know, actors and actresses, his eyes. It's, it's, it's amazing. What, what is, what is going on here? So um, I think one of the first things is he, his message is, is really engaging and persuasive because mm -hmm. He's not focusing on himself at all. Ah. So typically, the, these kind of speeches, typically it's I'd like to thank God and I'd like to thank the guy that runs the news agency down the street and you know, <laughs> all, all this kind of thing, right? Right. Um, and he's totally, he's, he's putting the focus elsewhere. Hmm. It's not on him. And um, he's going to the audience and he's saying to the audience, go and think about something that, makes you happy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and so by doing that and by forcing them to think of something that makes them happy anything mm -hmm. he says from that point on is mm -hmm. going to be easily accepted like anyone's going to go yes yes okay yeah you've helped me feel good about something mm -hmm. you know it, it's had such an emotional reaction that i was actually tearing up mm -hmm. that yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen to anything you say from this point. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely a huge factor. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, when people are persuaded, there's a, there's a very strong 
emotional element to it. You know, I mean, you know, you learn about debate and, and, you know, it, it's a lot about the logic and trying to get people in logic traps and slippery slope and, and convincing them. But it, it's almost like if, if, if you can get them moved emotionally, you can sort of persuade them much more easily as well. Uh, sometimes, you know, I mean, you see it all the time politically, you know, you can give all these facts, but if someone has a, a polar opposite view to you and you're not moving them emotionally, it doesn't matter what facts you say that they're never going to, you know, be persuaded. Exactly. Um, look, uh, logic, logic doesn't persuade logic doesn't change people's minds. The only mm -hmm. time logic works if people kind of agree with you anyway. <laughs> it's like, in, Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. In some way. Right. Uh -huh. Um, if it's emotional, then you're much more likely to get people over. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's like a sinking that happens, right? When 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 you make someone feel something, you you almost get into sync in a way that makes you more persuasive than than if yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, great. Um, so one more. Uh, let's see some things perhaps uh, that uh, we can try to avoid. Um, this is a presentation on overcoming anxiety. In any given year, 40 million Americans will suffer from debilitating anxiety. Over the course of time, there's a one out of four chance that you'll have an anxiety disorder. That is such a staggering rate. It suggests that we've entered into a new realm. We've acclimated to a new norm one of mass disquiet. Okay, so uh, I know folks uh, can't see what was going on there, but maybe you could talk us through a little bit of uh, what you saw and observed there, David. Okay, so I, I think um, if you can't see it, um, the, the first thing to take from that is he sounds, he sounds okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would kind of, if I close my eyes and I listen to it, I, I kind of feel like he's reading a little bit. Okay. Like he, he's over practice. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is when you actually see him deliver, mm -hmm. he, in the first second of his presentation, he destroys his credibility very quickly. And okay. that's because of his visual communication. What does he do? Uh, uh, so he's, he's standing with, um, he's gripping onto one arm with his other hand as mm -hmm. he starts his presentation. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this is a sign of nerves or anxiety or something like that. Right. Um, which the audience, because it's visual, the audience pick up on that instantly. Yeah. And the audience feels like, ah, oh, this guy's not, this guy's not confident. Mm -hmm. And the trouble with not showing you're confident straight out of the gate is that that really gives your credibility uh, a hit. Okay. So you can win, you can win people back. Okay. But your job is much harder to win them back once you've lost them. And um, he loses the audience like straight out of the gate simply because he's giving them this, this thing they don't even have to think about uh -huh. because it's visual, um, this indicator that he's nervous. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting because his presentation topic is overcome anxiety in seven minutes. <laughs> so maybe his talk is seven minutes long. I don't know, but yeah, you know, um, it's it's uh, the the visual communication is a, a a real thing that people have to uh, get over. So one of the things that I talk about when I do presentations training is you have to walk onto the stage with an open body position. Yes. Um, because people are just, people are just subconsciously have this thing where they feel like if someone's body position is closed, they're nervous, they're defensive, they're lacking something they they, they're scared about talking. They're not prepared, something like that. So, um, for those who may not be familiar with open and closed body position, could you explain a little bit more what you mean by, okay, this would be open and this is closed. Sure. So I, I, I think of a closed body position as someone who's kind of got their, their hands clasped in front of them or their, um, you know, they've got their arms folded or something like that. Okay. So a really good example of, of this kind of thing in action is if, let's say you're standing and talking to someone in the office okay, and you're, um, you're explaining, you're trying to convince them of why something is the way it is. Okay. And they're kind of nodding acceptance to you, but they've got their arms folded across their chest. <laughs> now it could be that they're really cold, right? but, what you're feeling from them because they've got their arms folded is that they don't really want to listen to you or they don't necessarily agree with your position or something like that. Right. Right. And, and so that comes across to the audience by having a closed body position, arms folded, hands clasped, that kind of thing. Um, an open body position is uh, where you come out, your, your hands are open. And you're mm-hmm. kind of naturally just moving your hands as you talk, as you would in normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, um, this when people first hear this, they often get uncomfortable because they okay. think, "Yeah, but what what do I do with my hands? I can't just have them sitting in midair like that." <laughs> um, but the thing is, when you when you really deeply understand what it is you're talking about, uh huh. And you basically, you start talking as you're walking towards the audience or as you first, the curtain first goes up or whatever it happens to be. Um, your hands just naturally help you do the talking. So you, you do have an open body position. Hmm. Yeah. One thing um, that, that totally uh, sort of makes sense and, and, and I think goes along with what you're saying is, you know, at, at that first uh, training that I took on public speaking, uh, the trainer said there's this position which he calls home position. And it's exactly what you described. It's your hands are naturally down at your side and you're talking. And your hands may come up to make a point or something and you, and you or you may point or make a gesture. But eventually your hands go back to home position. It's a very neutral, natural comfortable position and he tried to you know through various exercises get us more comfortable with that because the irony of it is when you're nervous about public speaking home position feels anything but natural (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) so i wanted to talk to you also and and get your uh, perspective a little bit on the role uh, of preparation in public speaking 
Um, I had a situation a while ago and then uh, wrote an article about it uh, in my blog where I, I had a, a negotiation or a conversation I had to have with someone and I was a little nervous because I kind of had to accept a weaker position, but I wanted to move forward because there were uh, other things that were also good about it. Mm-hmm. But what I was afraid of is if I too easily accepted the weaker position or didn't sell it correctly, then the other party would sense, well, why is this guy going for this weaker position? We can, we can negotiate even harder, right? So I wanted to really sell this, you know, sense that, you know, I, I, I'm okay with this, but I'm not okay with, you know, losing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did was I, I just practiced it. I recorded a few times. I cut it down and I, I distilled the message. And then I did something which was kind of like, I thought silly at the time, but it ended up being effective. I would do it in different modes. Like I would pick like a TV character or uh, a different voice. I'd do it as a man. I'd do it as a woman. Um, I'd sing it, you know? And then through that repetition, the, the core message, the thing that I wanted to say was really ingrained. So like you were saying, people can sense when you're reading a script, right? And it's a phone call. So I could have easily written something down and, and read it. Um, but it, it worked so much better that I kind of had my message down. If they said something else that made me want to tweak my message, I could still, you know, uh, adapt to that as well. And, you know, it ended up being a, a really good negotiation. And I think both sides got what they wanted. Yeah. Um, what have you found and, and what do you work with people uh, in terms of preparing uh, for public speaking? Okay, so so firstly, let me say, practicing as a man, then as a woman, then singing it, that sounds like one of my Halloween parties. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, I think preparation is the most important thing for um, any kind of speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I agree with what you said about you could have just written it down, but you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna sound it's not gonna sound the same as you're reading it out to them. Uh, even on the other end of the phone. So I think the first key to good preparation is to actually know very, very deeply what it is you're going to be talking about. Right. So it's obviously you, you had this cause it's obviously an area of your expertise. Yeah. Mm. But so, you know, sometimes people at work, their boss just says, Oh, you know, you do this presentation and they're so focused on, um, I, I need to be perfect and the slides have got to look like Steve Jobs made them and, and, and all this kind of thing <laughs> that, um, that they're not actually focused on, okay, I need to actually just communicate a message to the people that are listening to me and I need to uh, communicate that convincingly. So they forget about all the important preparation, like actually understanding the topic uh-huh. and, um, and then being able to talk about each of those topics in, in a, in a logical and easy to understand way. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, the preparation is very important for that. Well, uh, David, it's been a real treat, uh, to talk to you today and, and learn from your expertise, uh, in public speaking. I, I really learned a lot, uh, today and that's why I was excited to have you on. Uh, just wondering, are there any updates or things you're working on that you'd like to share with the audience? Okay, so um, it, 
let me say it's been great talking to you as well, Joe. Um, if people want to contact me, they can visit my blog at presentationblogger.com. And uh, I recently published a book. Um, and uh, if people are interested in reading more about how to do good presentations, they can check out my book. It's called PowerPoint Doesn't Suck, You Do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, I love that title. I've, I've been training in Aikido and, uh, you know, people always complain that it doesn't work and they have these t-shirts that says, uh, you know, Aikido works. Your Aikido doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, and I will list, um, uh, your website, uh, and, and a link to your book, uh, when I uh, post the podcast as well. So, uh, Thanks so much. Thank you, David, uh, for your time and insights on why it works. Thanks a lot, Joe. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.